0: Well, thank you, Michael, for letting me do this. I was actually here two years ago, almost like exactly to the day, because it was in, it was in December, I think we got here December 7th or 8th of 2020. What was that? 2021? What year is this? And, and we were at that point about to go. We were, we were one month away from going to Cali, Columbia, and we were in the process of kind of saying our farewells, and and now here we are two years later, and I remember back two years later, or two years ago, saying, you know, that God was really doing a work in Colombia, and, you know, He was really starting to do a work. It seemed like maybe a reformation was finally about to happen in South America, and, you know, of course, we're high expectations, high hopes, and then you go to Colombia, and you, you get there, and you start doing ministry, and pretty much... What I thought was happening was undershooting what was happening. And it really has been even more amazing than what I thought it was going to be. And so, you know, numbers are not everything by any stretch of the imagination. But it does, I think, in this case, tell a reflective story. So, for example, when I got there, it's me and another TMS guy named Santiago Armel. He's a Colombian guy. And he went down there and, um, and he started the, the, the church and planted the church about nine months before I got there. And when I got there in January 1st of 2022, there was about 115 people that were meeting every Sunday. So today we now have about 500 people every week that are attending. And and so it's just been this explosion, but really like I said the numbers are are impressive, but you know, if you have 500 people who you know are heathens and and aren't Christians, then you know what what's that doing for you? But but what's really neat is to see what the Lord is doing. And so I thought I would try to show some of that through some pictures and and give some comments because, as Michael mentioned, we're not only we not only planted a church, but we already we also started a seminary down there, which was always part of the plan. And so I'll I'll get into that. This is a a good picture because it's us in a beautiful place in Colombia Colombia is an absolutely beautiful country and it's coming from California where I was before and everything's dead and brown and then going to Columbia where everything is green all the time someone just asked me before you know what what is the weather like there and it's not like this there's there's no winter in fact every day of the entire year 365 days a year it's about 80 the difference between 80 and 80, 80 and 90 is the the high and every night is about 65 to 75. So it actually is pretty nice because it's not that humid. Some of you are thinking maybe we should move there. Others of you thinking no way. So you know, it, and it's it, the, because you're close to the equator, the it gets dark really early and and gets light pretty early too. And every day is the exact same. We don't have daylight savings time. So there are benefits to doing that. If you don't have if you have kids, that helps. You don't have to mess with the changing of the schedule. This, this group of people, these group of men right here, that is the leadership team that we have at eBay I'm going to say eBay I can say IBCC, but after two years of saying eBay it just sounds like not even the same church. So eBay Se stands for the Bible Christian Bible Church of Cali, Iglesia Biblica Cristiana de Cali. So eBay and and really, God has from the beginning blessed us with a tremendous leadership team. Santiago, which is the first one to the left of center, is the is the other TMS grad. He, him and I, he and I are the two pastors of the church, the two elders. The man in the in the middle, his his name is Andres, he is a deacon. The man on the far left, his name is Cesar, and the guy on the far left far right, his name is Benji, Benjamin. He is actually an American but who is who connected with us he had been a missionary for 10 years in another organization and ended up coming because there was no good churches he lived in another city and ended up moving to be a part of our church and he, those two guys on the ends are actually both studying their MDivs right now at TMS through the mentor program and so really for a church that's less than 2 years or for it's just over 2 years old to have almost 4 TMS grads is really an incredible thing and the two the two bookends Benji and Cesar they 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 were they started doing it in Colombia, so they've never been to the US to to study. So it really is just a, a a supernatural provision for God to provide faithful men and and they've been there since day one when and you know it's the first the first meeting was in the back of a patio that and there was about 30 people. And you know, in two in the next week there was 50. And then so the first location only lasted two weeks because it was at Cesar's house. And then they had to move to another place. And then that lasted about eight months. And then they, we, we're now on our fourth location because we're just growing so fast. And we can't, we can't contain, we, normally the, the place runs out of space too quickly. So, but these men are faithful men. They're godly men. They love the Lord. They love the church. And so, and every one of these guys right here also plays a key role in the seminary and just the operation of the church itself. So we're super blessed to have that team and so this is a picture of our last membership class that we had. We are now up to 140 members. Some of you would probably be scared if you heard what our membership process is, because our membership process usually lasts about nine months. You have to take the entire Fundamentals of the Faith course. You can't miss one class. If you miss the class, you got to go back and wait till the next cycle to repeat it. And, and, um, and, that, and the reason, there's a reason for that, because there are no good churches in Cali. It's a city of three and a half million people. And there are, there's one other church that I think is, is decent. But other than that, there's no good churches. Every single other group in, in Cali would either be hyper charismatic, prosperity gospel, or, or, or a cult. And so what's really amazing is the, just the lack of the lack of availability of sound teaching. And I think that's something that in the U.S. we totally take for granted. And and so because you think, well, you know, if something happened to Bernie, I guess we could go to Kerrville or I guess we could go to San Antonio. I mean, yeah, we'd have to drive 30 minutes or whatever. But, but, but it's something you've always had, more or less, or had access to. And in Colombia, they've never had it and they've never had access to it. So, you know, we had one guy who was driving eight hours a week to come to church um, and he wasn't complaining that it was too far. He was happy as anything to be there. And so we, we always, his name was Hiro, and, and he finally, after about a year, moved to, to Cali to come because he was still waiting on some work things to work out. But I always, I always chuckle when somebody says, like, oh, you know, the church is like 15 minutes away. That's pretty far. And I'm saying, well, it's because you don't, you don't recognize the need enough. We've got probably 40 people in our church that drive over an hour to get there. And and they're not complaining. They're thrilled to be able to drive an hour. We have a, a, a group, a family group of about eight or nine that drives two hours, and and they're just—it's just amazing to I think to see the hunger that the people have. They're just so happy to be there. They can never even believe that there is a biblical church in Cali. That's something that they thought would never exist in their life, and and so they're they're able to come. So we now have 140 members. Our last group had 40 people. And again, that number could be higher if we would make the process faster. But we can't make the process faster because everybody who's coming in there has never been to, or nobody who's coming has ever been to a biblical church in their life. So they're coming and they come with a whole bunch of weird ideas that are totally unbiblical. And usually they all come thinking that they're Christians. And then they're there about three months and then they start going Man, I've never felt so terrible in my entire life about my sin. You know, I've been in church for 20 years at a charismatic church. I've never felt so horrible in my life. You know, I'm not even, maybe I'm not a Christian. And then like three months later, probably at the six month mark, that they start saying, you know, I don't don't think I am a Christian. I don't think I ever was a Christian, you know. And then they they get saved, oftentimes through our Fundamentals of the Faith course. And then they start saying, wow, you know, this is like, this is unlike anything I've ever experienced. And so then they start to really have, go through this process that's pretty painful of every Sunday saying, I'm learning something new that I believe that I, that was wrong. And, and so they, you know, many people have said, it's like we're in a detox process. Like I just go to church and every week I'm, I'm learning, wow, oh, that was wrong too, huh? Oh boy, that was wrong too. Man, and, and so what happens is I use the illustration of it's kind of like they come to church and they say, you know what? I just realized that that was wrong. I got to take that off the table. And then they the next week their next theological pillar. Oh, that was wrong too. Okay, I got to take that off. And after a while, they just say, "You know what? I'm just going to clear the whole table because nothing I believe is correct." And 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 that's. But you know, it sounds funny, but actually, that requires a lot of humility because most of us don't like to give up things that we. When we find out that something's wrong, then we start going, "Oh, you know, I don't know." Yeah, no, we fight back. And and it's really the work of God, I think, that these people are saying. Oh, no, we're not fighting back. We know we know nothing, and now, matter of fact, let's just forget everything and start from zero and They're coming as a blank slate, which is a huge blessing and so this was a a, a neat little ceremony we had for members, and we line them all up and and of course, it's been six to nine months, usually. People are crying because they never thought they would ever be a part of a biblical church in their entire life. And then after the you know the whole congregation comes up and greets them, and they're crying and they're they're shaking, they're hugging each other and shaking hands, and and it's just this time of extreme joy. Because they're saying, like, we just can't even believe that God would allow us to be in a place that teaches the Word of God. And so it's really interesting because I'm from Arkansas. And so my entire life, and you guys are from Texas, obviously. So, you know, it, you're, our entire lives, it's like we live in the South, it's the Bible Belt. Like, you know, everybody's a Christian, even if nobody is. You know, everybody's a Christian, even if nobody is. So it's like, you, 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 to see that kind of like hunger and excitement is, is is really amazing and it's really encouraging because, you know, it's, it's in America, it seems like, oh, it's so cold and it's not temperature wise, spiritually wise, it's getting worse. But you know what? God is not done building his church. In fact, he's building it very quickly in some places and it's very exciting. And really, as you guys participate with us, as you're doing, you guys, as Third John says, become partakers in the ministry. So it, that, you know, that's a really exciting opportunity and a really exciting thing to be a part of. But there's so many times where Beth and I, and even Santi and I, will sit there and be like, man, what in the world is happening? Like, this is nuts. Like, I've been in churches my entire life, and I've never seen anything like this. And it's, and it's just like, whole families are being saved. One of the, Cesar actually the guy who was one of the leadership team, he, he came with his wife and they had never been at a good church and then they so he started their marriage started getting better and transforming and and so then he was you know, oh, you know my my brother and his wife and my other brother and his wife, they still go to those churches, those bad churches. And then, you know, I didn't want he didn't want to pressure them, but as they began to kind of hear things what was going on, they both came. Well, then the two, the brother got saved and both sister-in-laws got saved. And then the wife, Cesar's wife said, well, you know, I'm going to invite my mom and dad. Well, then the mom and the dad got saved. And then, so it's like these literally like whole family groups are being saved. And and so many times a mother and a father of small children have been saved. And what encourages me is like, now that family has hope. Those kids have a bright future where they're going to grow up and they're going to learn the word. Whereas, you know, six months ago, that kid was going to grow up in a you know falsely religious hypocritical heathen household and now because God in his grace saved the husband and the wife that he's really just now that that whole family that whole home is totally transformed and so you're just like wow that what a what a grace that is and so I really did this in a bad order Simdex is our seminary I should have talked about baptisms I'll go to baptisms now okay so baptism so usually what happens is as we go through the membership process we realized that all these people got saved through Fundamentals of the Faith or because the Fundamentals of the Faith last six months, they've been constantly hearing the preaching every week. And and so that's another benefit is because if someone comes in with their head just completely full of nonsense— they come in and they start going to fundamentals of the faith and they start going, holy smokes, like we have never heard anything like this before. This, their minds are exploding every week. They're getting super convicted. But at the same time, they're hearing biblical sermons on Sunday mornings. And so they're saying like, oh boy, it's like a double dose. And then we have a service on Wednesday night. That's like a triple dose. And so, you know, really it's like everything. It's like a flooding their minds all the time. And so what happens is they go through the membership process. And as I mentioned, they start realizing, oh, I was never saved. And the question that we have to explain often is, well, do I need to be re-baptized? And the answer is, well, no, because you never got baptized in the first place. No, I did. No, you swam in church because baptism... Baptism is for Christians. And if you weren't a Christian and you got baptized, then you just took a swim in church. And so that's a phrase that we use a lot to help them understand that. But still, that's like for them, they're, they're still like processing. So wait, so I do need to be rebaptized? No, you need to be baptized. Oh, okay. And so they realize for the first time, like they weren't Christians and now they are. And we have to really guide them and help them sometimes to see when that salvation took place. And, and, and we've got people who used to be pastors of charismatic churches get saved. So... Usually we have really big baptisms because we're going through our membership process and you have to be baptized as a Christian to be a member. You don't have to be baptized in our church, but you do have to be baptized as a Christian. And so as the process goes on, people start going like, oh yeah, I do need to be baptized. And then we say, well, okay, well, membership was supposed to be in, you know, we were supposed to induct new members in three weeks. And so, all right, well, everyone who hasn't gotten baptized as a Christian sign up and then we'll have 22 people sign up. And you'll say, oh, well, you know, okay, well, that's a lot of people. So we usually have these mass baptisms of 10, 12 people at a time. And so what happens is what we do is every one of them will line up. We have to rent a pool because we don't have a fancy little, you know, baptistry here. Or maybe you will baptize in the pool outside. I don't know. In the summer. Okay. So it's always summer there. So we have to rent a pool at a, at a local place. And then we line them all up. And and probably a hundred people from the church line the pool with their chairs and then we end up giving testimonies. And everyone will share their three to five minute testimony. And so a baptismal, a baptismal ceremony can easily last two hours because we'll sing a song. But like the people love it. Like, you know, if you say we're having a baptism, everyone's like, yes, baptism. We get to hear all these great stories of God's grace and testimonies. And so we did one that had like, I think we baptized like 18 people at a time. And that went like three and a half hours. And we were like, okay, that was a little too long. So we need to split them up. No more than 11 at a time. And it sounds crazy, right? Because we're talking about like, oh, wow, if we could baptize 11 people at a time, that would be like the greatest year of our life. And, And that's about every three months for us. So in two years, we've baptized 90 people, which is nuts. I mean, that's the size of a church, and so that's just all new believers, and, and pro- yeah, probably almost all 90 of those were part of the new members that came. So we're not talking about a very small percentage of people were Christians and came and grew. Most of them were not Christians, came, got baptized, got saved at the church, and then became members. So that kind of stuff is you're just like, man, what is going on? This is this is this is nuts. This is crazy stuff, and 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 even the process of baptism. We one lady got saved in the process of the baptism because they have to submit their testimony, and the testimony wasn't a testimony. And so we called her and said, well, we didn't really understand. So why don't you explain it to us? And she gave us a, re, a you know her explanation of her testimony, which wasn't a testimony. And we said, yeah, I don't think you're a Christian, and and you know this is you know this is what a real testimony sounds like, repentance and and, and she was like, oh, wow, I've, I've never even in once in my life thought that I was a sinner. And, you know, and so here, you know, so she got saved almost in the baptism interview. So, and so we were like, okay, well, just hold off. We're going to have someone disciple you. And maybe the next round of baptisms, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and she was baptized in the next one. But even those testimonies, we invite the church to come because they're such a point of high encouragement. Matter of fact, we had one lady who just got baptized, who, as she was listening to the testimony of a previous baptism, like three or four months before she heard basically her story, except there was no, we always say, you know, have you ever had a before and an after? And so as the person was explaining their before, it sounded exactly like her, except the after had not occurred yet. And they had been at the church, you know, a year and a half or something. And her husband was already a member, but her, no, just a lady who lacked joy and just was grumbly. And, and, but as listening to this testimony of baptism, the Lord ended up using that to save her. So it's, it's really crazy to see how God just is doing so many different things to save people. But, and I understand that this isn't normal. Like I, I know my sister's a missionary in Paris and, and I, I have lots of friends from seminary who are missionaries. And, you know, you guys are lucky because what's happening with Lalo or uh, Eduardo and, and Monterrey is actually very similar to what's happening here. Uh, in Cali. But in, you know, I've talked to a lot of missionaries and they're saying, well, wouldn't that be great if we were in your circumstance? And I mean, I didn't choose it. I'm just going down there and trying to be faithful and God's doing all the work, but he is doing the work, which is amazing. So that's kind of the, the, the baptism church overview. We're very slowly, but surely incorporating new ministries, which could be you know, women's ministry meets once every two months. And we were t- I was talking about this with Michael the other day. And, you know, some, they would like to meet more. But the, the biggest problem that we have, truthfully, is that the church is growing so fast. And we don't have the people to lead. So, I mean, so we've, I've had people when I come back to the U.S. and they say, Well, why haven't you planted another church yet? I'm like, with who? Like, with, with who's, who are we going to do that with? You know, we, we, with the guy who's been saved six months or the guy who's been saved nine months. I mean, who are we going to plant that church with? I mean, you, that's, a, that's a fool's errand to plant a church that, that you don't have a guy who's ready. And now they're growing and they're getting more mature all the time. But if I think the most mature person in our church outside of me and Santi has been in a biblical church two years of his life. So it takes time. And so, yeah, we have the idea we would like to plant other churches in the future, but we're not there yet. And so one of the things that we've done to try to facilitate that process and raise up men is something called Simdex. SIMDEX is a, a seminary, it's seminary de expositores, which is expositor seminary. And so what we do is we we partnered with another TMS church in Bogota, Colombia, and we we have two. Two gosh, this is where my Spanish brain kicks in they 'll say this. We have two sites, yeah two two we have two branches, I guess, two satellites, there we go, satellites that 's the word, and so one in Bogota, one in Cali, and so what we 're doing is we 're teaching we decided this year that we 're going to teach because we 're not really we 're not really ready to dive into a seminary level education, so we decided we were going to teach what would be kind of like a, a certificate of Bible studies, which would be, how would, I, how would I explain that? Basically, we want to have home Bible studies, but we can't because we don't have the people to lead it. And so there's five leaders, but between those five leaders, we're doing everything. So we have to raise up other people. I mean, there's, there's not enough time to have, or not enough time in a day or a week to do, for us five to do all the teaching that needs to be done. So we, we said, okay, well, we don't need seminary level yet. We're trying, we're not ready for that. So we're going to start to do a a basic course on how to study the Bible. And, you know, what is a panorama of the Old Testament, New Testament, or an overview, I guess, is panorama. Is that even an English word? I don't even know. Okay, an overview of the Old and New Testament. And, And so then we're going to do like a basic introduction to ecclesiology, just so they can kind of begin on the pathway of studying. Well, normally in a seminary, it takes years and years to get any people. Well, we had 60 students in the first class. And most of them were from our church. and but So we were like, wow, okay, this is great. And we just had our, our graduation and we had 50 graduates because some of them joined at different points. Some of them dropped out for various reasons, having a baby, things like that. It is for men and women both, although the women are not going to be teaching the Bible studies or preaching. it's We want the women in our church to also be theologically sound so that they can help with their own homes and their own families. But one of the most encouraging things for us is that in in this seminary, although 60 of those students, that's 60 in Cali. There's like another 70, I think, in Bogota. So there's really, it's a huge numbers from the beginning. But what's, what's really been encouraging to us is that there are pastors coming from Venezuela and Ecuador and from other parts of Colombia that are also coming to study because they're saying, we have no idea what we're doing Because it's not like in the US, like someone goes to seminary and comes back and be a pastor. No, you want to leave and you want to meet with five people in your garage. Guess what? You just started a church and because you started it, you're the pastor. That's how it happens. And there's no, no wonder why most of these groups end up as cults or, you know, teaching or they end up really terrible, wounding a lot of people or robbing a lot of people because there's no theological training. And literally, it's like, hey, let's start reading the Bible in our home. Well, you seem to know the Bible better than me. Why don't you preach? And why don't you become the pastor? Which later becomes, why don't you become the dictator who tells us what to do? And, And that's usually what happens. And it's just really bad. So these guys, most of these guys, there's a couple of these guys that are in our church that went to go show them some stuff in Cali. But these guys make extreme effort to get to Cali, especially from Venezuela. The guys on the far right side, the one with, not the one in the white shirt, he goes to our church, but the one in the black shirt with the hat and the one next to him, they're from Venezuela. There's another three guys from Venezuela that come. And you know, Venezuela's in a really tough situation economically. They have to drive 12 hours to the border and then they have to walk across the border on foot to the t- nearest town in Colombia. Then they have to fly. And these guys don't have money, hardly. So they have to fly to Bogota and then they have to fly to us. So oftentimes it'll take up 24 hours, 36 hours for them to even get to us. And, and then when they come, I mean, this is a basic theology course, basic. And and these guys are just blown away. And they're just saying like, you know, that's, wow, you know, this is like the most incredible stuff. You know, I, I, I've realized that I don't know what in the world I'm doing. But God has also been faithful to provide for these men. You know, the little short guy in the middle that says Kenneth Cole, he's from Ecuador. And, and he is just a dear saint. And just being a part of this program has been something for him. He gave his testimony at the graduation and everyone was in tears, you know, because he's just saying, I didn't even think, I never had the money to come and God always provided in some way and I was able to come and God is just not only transforming my marriage, he's not only transforming my, my view of the church, he's also transforming my marriage where my wife and kids have said, dad, whatever training that church does, you need to go to because <laughs> I think the home is getting the, getting ordered and, and things are getting better in the home and they're saying, whatever they're doing, you're going. And so he's, he's, his life has just been really changed. And, and what's interesting is they've, one of the things we've heard over and over again is like, you know, you can read this in a book and I can study the theology, which is transformative. But we've never, we don't know what it looks like in practice. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I even took an online course and I learned, but, but I, don't know what, I don't know what that means practically. And so what's really, what, one of the things we've learned is that it seems like God is raising up Ibe Seisei as a model church in the region. You know, he's obviously saving a lot of people, but we, we've done the best we can to be very ordered and structured. And, you know, this is why everything we do has a purpose. Even on our Sunday service, we're doing things a certain way to, to facilitate certain things. And, and these guys will come and then we'll do a baptism service. And they'll be at the baptism service and they're blown away. And then they'll come and they'll come to our marriage meeting, on our marriage dinner meeting on Friday, the last Friday of every month, and they'll say, they're learning, okay, not only what is the theology, but what does it look like for a church to actually do these things? Uh, Because they've never seen it in practice because there are no good churches. And so many of them have said, like for us, the most valuable thing, almost even beyond the teaching of the seminary, is is to see the church in action. And not only to see the church in action, but one of the things that has really warmed my heart as the pastor is that the people of the church, of our church, who have been transformed they're, they're being Christians. And I mean that between, I mean, they're extremely hospitable. They're extremely generous. And so these guys will come and, and, you know, they'll, they'll have, you know, someone who has the tiniest little one bedroom apartment will say, hey, two pastors can sleep in our home. We'll, we'll, we'll go sleep at my mom's house. So you guys can have our apartment. And these are people who don't have any money. And, and you're going, wow, like, well, this is like really incredible that they're, that they're willing to do these things. And, and you know, there was one, one family that in particular that's really shown and proven themselves to be extremely hospitable. You know, they were like, yeah, we're having four Venezuelans stay at our house. And so we finally went to their house and I'm like, Where? where are they staying? And they're like, no, no, no. We're all cramming. All five of us We're cramming in our one room over here. And we gave the pastors the kids rooms and this other thing. And we're like, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. You know, a lot of times we're thinking, well, I don't have enough bedrooms, you know, but they're just like, no, we will just give you whatever. And, you know, we'll figure out how to make it work. And, And so it's just really incredible to see that it's not just numbers that are growing. It's the people's hearts are growing in their generosity in their in their attitude of they're saying, man, we we, we want to serve, and I've been at a lot of churches in the U.S. and and you know it's like people are always fighting to find people to serve, and in in our church it's like everybody's coming up to us, what do we do? How can we serve? What can we do? We just give us something to do, and we're like, I don't know, like there's like we have to like invent something for you to do, because because they're so eager to serve that we're we're just like okay, well. I mean, I guess do this, you know, and they're just like, yes, some, something to do. Some, an opportunity to serve. And, and, and like, you don't have to fight over like, who's going to pick up all the chairs after the service? Cause we, you know, we have to do certain things. We have to break up. We rent an event center. And so, you know, we have to break up and tear down. And, you know, guys just showing up and they're saying, yeah, we're going to do it. We'll break up everything. We'll do all this and give us something to do. And you're just like, wow, this is amazing. You know, usually you, as a pastor, I hear stories of you're like fighting. To, like, so can we get anybody to come to this thing? You know, I don't know that it's like that here. I don't think so. I doubt it. But, but you know, but there's there's but there's, that's really encouraging to see that the people, they, they have that hunger to serve. They have that hunger to give. They have that hunger to, to make themselves available. And again, I think some of that just comes from the fact of like, we have never experienced true Christianity in our life. We've never known anybody who has experienced true Christianity in our life. This is the most amazing thing ever. And, and, and you know, we started the pattern, Santi and I, inviting people over to our house after church on Sunday. A Sunday for us, Michael was asking me this the other day, what's a Sunday like for you? I'm like, well, we, we usually leave the house at 830 I preach from 9:30 to 10:30 in the in the Bible study hour. I'm preaching through the book of First Peter, and then you know from 11 to 12:30 is our service. And then usually we invite people over to our house after for either lunch or to talk, and then they'll stay till eight, nine, eight, 9 o'clock at night. Sometimes ten o'clock at night. And they'll just sit there for like six hours straight asking you questions. What's this? And how do you, what about this? And how do you think about this? And what about this? And and it's like, wow, like this is, it's and you go to bed Sunday night and you're just totally exhausted. But you know, well, that was a good day of ministry right there. And, and, and so what's happened is as we began to model that, inviting people over, what happened is now the church has begun to, you know someone who has a patio they'll invite 50 people to their house 50 people how do you like patio is like the size of that little little stage right there and you're like yeah we all just sit on the floor and we pack around and we all bring something and, and we just sit there and hang out till midnight and you're like wow that's like okay I, that's that's amazing you know and I, I'm I'm glad I don't always have to be there cuz you know sometimes I go pretty late but I'm like that's incredible that that's happening and we're not having to like say hey you should invite people over it's like, no, they just want to be with the body. They want to be with the saints. They love it. And matter of fact, if we had church seven days a week, they'd be there seven days a week. We're not doing that, but, you know, they would do it. And that's the thing that's crazy is I'm always thinking like a little bit of American in me. And I'm like, wherever some people will say like, well, you know, yeah, we should do something. And you're like, okay, yeah, let's do something. And do will never happen. There it's like, we should do something. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like right now. And you're like, oh, right now? Like, yeah, if not now, tomorrow. We're like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, okay, let's do this. You know, and it's that they love to be with each other. And, and the, it's just, we've had people come from the U.S. on mission trips and things like that. And one thing we've heard is, I feel like I just walked into the early church. I feel like I just walked into Acts 2. People are hanging out all the time. They're sharing bread. They're, you know, they're, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah it's kind of true. And, I don't, you know, I don't, and we're not doing anything special. We're not doing anything that's, that other faithful men aren't doing. It's just for some reason, God has determined that in Cali, he is going to do a work. And, and it's incredible. And we're just happy to be a part of it. And we're glad that you guys can be a part of it as well. So another thing that is fundamental to our church is fundamentals of the faith. I said that, you know, that's a, that's a requirement for membership is that you have to go through the whole course. And like I said, that's about a six-month course. And, and we have to do that. It's just like we have to do it because everyone comes in just with the dumpster fire of theology in their brain. I hope that reference makes sense. And, and, and so they come in and they just are all messed up. And so they, 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 we say, okay, you got to go to Fundamentals of the Faith. That's a six-month course. I think it's maybe like 16, 17 lessons. Or maybe it's 13, but it, we break some of them or two. So it ends up being like maybe 19, 20 classes. And if you miss one, after, the, after Fundamentals of the Faith, then you have... A, a, like about a two-month interview process, not for per person, but Santi and I meet with every single person who finished the course, and we have a, an hour, hour and a half meeting with them for the membership interview. And then, but sometimes, like as the last class, we realized, man, so it doesn't seem like, there would seem to be some blank stares when we were talking about this key theological point. So you know what? We're going to have a month class of that theological point as an addition to this membership process. And, and because what's happening is you got to have everybody on the same page. You got to have everybody on the same page, because if not, they'll start talking in their afternoon dinner meeting, and somebody will say a heresy, and because everybody is a new believer, they may not have the discernment yet to know, and so you got to make sure everybody's on the same page, the members are on the same page, and so, and if you miss one class, let's say you miss class 10, and you're going, oh man, well maybe I could, maybe I'll make it up, maybe the pastors will let me make it up. Because, it's you know, six months plus three months of other additional things, you know, plus some baptisms thrown in there. And so you're like, "Well, man, if I miss that class and I have to repeat the whole cycle, that'll be another nine months. And they come up to us and they say, so we missed like two classes. You're like, yeah, that's great. Well, so what, so what do I do? Well, you just do it next time. Oh, well, like I have to wait like another eight months? Yeah. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. You know, and they don't actually complain. They don't actually complain. They just go, oh, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I feel like I'm so immature in my faith. I'd actually, I think I'd rather just repeat all the fundamentals. And we're like, okay, (laughs) go for it. Repeat fundamentals of the faith. And so sometimes, if you miss a class or two, you're going to wait a year and a half before you can become a member. But they don't complain. Sometimes people finish fundamentals of the faith and we say, all right, you ready for your membership interview? And they'll go, you know, I still feel like I just, uh, there's so many things I don't know. I mean, I got saved in, you know, week seven of fundamentals of the faith. I don't know. I'm just going to repeat it. And I'm like, I mean you don't have to and they're like no I want to. And You're like okay well there you go. I and mean, you we'll see you next membership cycle. You know it's 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 just really amazing that the the, the attitude is so humble. But the fundamentals of the faith class of our la- that we just started maybe maybe 2 months ago or maybe a month and a half ago we started our new fundamentals on the faith class and that has 127 people in it. Which just means that's 127 people who are saying we want to be members of this church and we want to learn more about the Bible. And we're like oh boy. 127. That's way too many people for our fundamentals of the Faith class. If you're wondering, the best number would be like 15. The problem is, we don't have space. We don't have space. We don't have little cool rooms. You know, we have an event center, and that's it. And we have, we can, we rent about three rooms. One for the kids, which is a disaster. I mean, it's like, and I say, my wife could comment more on this, because she serves in the kids ministry at times. Is, it's like, because Cali is hot, carpet doesn't exist. Nobody has carpet. So you go into this room with 50 screaming kids. There's no distinction between the babies and the crawlers and the you know the six-year- olds. It's just all one long event room with, with mirrors, concrete walls, and tile floor. So you walk in there and you're like, "Wow, it is echoey!" <laughs> and it is loud. And the, and the women who serve come out, and they're just like, oh, it's so loud in there. But you know what? It's better than the last place, because at least it has AC. The last place, we were meeting in a shopping center in the midst of taxis. And it was a taxi sale, like, where they sold taxis. It was, a, it was a, like a mall, basically. And in the, in the patio area, I mean, it was like, basically, you all would be taxis. And we had to put up some plastic chains to somewhat corral the kids, and then like this little corner was the kids area and it was San Cudero, which is like a mosquito heaven. And so because it was like it was hot and it was miserable and they were like, oh, well, you know, like the chains don't really contain the kids. And so we had to like put some men out there to like corral the kids. And it was, I mean, it was a big affair, but but at least now we have AC and there's no and there's no mosquitoes. You can't hardly hear yourself think, but, you know, it's what we got. And so we're, we're thankful for it. And, and but it also may, may shows you that there's always that part of you that's like, oh man, Lord, provide us a place that is more suitable for our needs. And so yeah, we got 127 people. It's very similar actually to this room. It's like w- walls, mirrors, and it's just it's just it's not ideal, but it's but it's what we got. And so 127 people in fundamentals of the faith. Pray for those people because many, many, many of them are unsaved. But God has been saving people, and you know. Sometimes you can convince yourself thinking, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe fundamentals of the faith, that maybe that's not so important. No, for us, it is absolutely vital. And, and God has used fundamentals of the faith to do just a tremendous amount of work. Biblical counseling, Frank's not here. So, you know, I think we could skip this section. No, I'm just kidding. Frank's a buddy of mine from, from seminary, and we took a lot of classes together, even including counseling sessions. So again, one of the problems that I went down there with one of the main focuses I had of of really establishing a biblical counseling stuff. Biblical counseling doesn't exist in Columbia. It's all psychology. It's all, you know, or yeah, basically it's psychology or other things. I mean, it's nothing is biblical or charismatic. So, you know, you've got a, you've got a demon of, of anxiety. So what we need to do is cast out the demon of anxiety. Oh, you've got a demon of laziness. We need to cast out the demon of laziness. That's the extent of the charismatic counseling. And then that, or it's, you know, you got to learn to love yourself more. You got to learn to, you know, whatever psychological advice they give you. So the problem is with a church that's growing so big, everyone is new believers. You can imagine that that means with bad theology comes bad living. And so, with good theology, the muck goes to the surface. So there's been people who were, thought they were relatively stable, but the word of God has revealed that their marriage is a mess. And, and you know, things that they overlooked in the past, which was really their marriage was terrible, but they just weren't ever dealing with anything. And so then, you know, the theology comes in, the salvation comes in, and then suddenly all these things start coming to the surface you know, oh, do I have to admit to my wife that I cheated on her five years ago, you know? And, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think you should probably do that, you know? And it's like, oh, well, we're, we're like, we're kind of good now. And it's like, well, yeah, but you weren't, you know, and you did that, so that's pretty bad. And and so you, or like, oh, man, we just realized that, you know, we were yelling and fighting all the time. And we thought that was normal. Now we're realizing that's not normal and that's bad. And and so, you know, there's lots of counseling. So the problem is there's only five Five leaders, but really only two pastors. So what I what I had to do really by necessity was to say, we have got to start training up other people. Uh-oh, battery running low. Here it goes. We're almost done. Let's see, how much do I have left? Oh, that's like, like we're on the second to last one. This is my family. So, you know, they're here somewhere. There's my wife back there. But so for the biblical counseling, what we did, if it, now if it dies, it won't matter because I've shown you all the pictures. But if for what I did was I took, the what I took, saw to be the 30 people who I thought were the most mature, the most stable in their convictions, and maybe their marriages and their families were normal. And and, and I said, okay, what I'm going to do is these are the people that I've got to start training up. But you run into an interesting dilemma as you train people up, is that how do you most of biblical counseling comes with like a theology behind it. All of it comes with a theology behind it. You know, okay, like well, I'm going to teach this, but you know, here's like an understood thing. We all know that the Bible is sufficient. Well, the problem is they don't know that because they've never been in a good church their entire life. And so you start going, how do I, how do I give them a basic counseling course when the basics aren't there? Like the basic theology isn't there. You know, what, do you, what do you do? And I was left with a really interesting kind of like cart before the horse situation or catch 22. You got to train people to help with counseling. But they got to have the theology to counsel. And, you know, I guess I could just teach a systematic theology class, which would help them with counseling. But that's going to take a long time, and the need for counseling is now. So what do I do? And so I, I invented or designed a course that was called basically the stakes in the sand. Or, oh, here we go. We lost it. Basically, stakes in the sand or the pillars of biblical counseling that are true in every case. You know, it doesn't matter who you're counseling. The goal is always the same. The goal is always to glorify God. That's the goal for the counselee. That's the goal for the counselor. So if someone comes in there and says, well, you know, what are you expecting to get out of counseling? Well, I want my marriage to have less fighting. Well, that's a bad goal. Well, how is that a bad goal? Don't we all? No, not really. Because the goal is to glorify God. Because if the goal is to have less fighting, then if my husband's not playing by the rules of not fighting less, then I'll start to sin to make sure there's less fighting. But if the goal is to glorify God, I'll realize, you know what? If he doesn't respond or she doesn't respond, I mean, I'm not going to like start to control and manipulate so that we stop fighting less or whatever else may be. You know, if I start sinning to accomplish a goal, then the goal is now no longer to glorify God and I'm just making the problem worse. So the goal is always to glorify God. For, in everything, and that's our center point. And so, but I'm trying to give them basically stakes in the ground because as I was talking to the Bex the other day, I mean, some people come in there with counseling situations that are off the wall, and you're going, what in the world? And you just, where, where, where do I even start? And what we do, if we have good theology, and some of you guys are ACBC certified or you're getting trained, you start grabbing for the things that you know to be true. Well, I don't know what in the world's going on here, but I know this is true. And I know this is true. And I know this is true. And okay, that's kind of like my, I got my bearings now and now we can talk. And so, but they don't have those bearings. They don't have those stakes in the sand. They don't have those pillars that they can find. And so I said, okay, that's where we're going to start. And so I taught that class. So now we have 30 people who are trained a little bit. You know, the goal is to start like an official biblical biblical, biblical counseling training center and do all that stuff. But, you know, you got to, can't put the cart before the horse. You got to start basic. And so at least we got some basis. But those 30 people, I said, good. Now you guys are going to get to work. And they were like, oh, what? What? Oh, no, 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 we did not we think we we're actually going to have to use this stuff. And I said, well, yeah, of course. That's the whole point. You guys are going to help me. And they were like, oh, man, this is scary. So I said, no, don't be scared. Don't worry. I'm going to help you. And so now we started a ministry at the church where I say every Sunday, three of you are going to come up with me to the stage after church, and you're going to help me counsel people. What? Oh, no, that's that. No, uh, don't worry. I'm going to be there right next to you, and I'm going to help you. Because what happens is after church, usually when church ends, I'll stand up here on the front, and for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, people will come up there and talk to me and ask me questions, and I've got a counseling situation. I don't know what to do. And so, I mean, we would have a line of seven people And I was like, this is just, I mean, there's just too little of me. There's too few of me. There's too many of them. We're overrun, you know. And and so that's why I started thinking we got to have this group. And so now what's happening is we've started to put these other people up there. And I was not sure if the people were going to actually ever talk to them. Because there's this erroneous idea that the pastor is the only one who can help me. And that's a bad idea. And that's not a biblical idea, but that's a view that people have. And so we started saying, okay, no, look, this is the group of people that I've trained up, and as, if they're counseling you, it's like I'm counseling you. And I told them, don't be scared. If you don't know the answer, just tell them you don't know. You'll pray with them, and you'll get back to them in a couple of days. And talk to me. Run to me. That's what I do. And I said, I'll help you. So that's what I've started to do. But by the God's grace, what's happened is these people who are terrified to open their mouth and counsel anybody, now they're forced up there to stand next to me, and people start coming to them. And they start, well, maybe they want to talk to me, but there's the line of three. So they say, well, I got to talk to her then. And so they'll talk to her or him and, and, and they're getting, starting to get a little bit of understanding. And then they'll call me after, okay, I talked to this person and this happened. I don't know what in the world to do. I said, that's great. That's great. You know, good. So, you know, write that down. And here's what I would say. This is, you know, here's, here's, I can help you think because I, I don't want to tell them what to say necessarily. I want to help them to know how to think so that they can help somebody else know how to think. And so by God's grace, that. That group has been taking that role and doing that. And that has been a huge blessing. And now what's happening is people come to me. They say, I've got a counseling issue. If they're not members, what I do is say, no, no problem. I got someone who can help you. And I send them to the people in that group of 30. And they might say, well, I'm not ready for that. I say, That's fine. I'm going to help you the whole way. And basically what happens in an ACBC certification process where you get supervised, the last step where you get supervised for 50 sessions, I'm doing exactly that to these 30 people without them being certified as a result. And so they come to me and they say, here's my case report. And I have chalked that thing up with comments. What did you think about this? I would have done this. What about homework? Did you think about anything like that? Like when I'm thinking about homework and exercises to put into practice this week, these are the kind of things that are running through my head. And from day one, you got to have a goal. Where are we going with this thing? And I'm, and I'm doing all this in a case report and I'm sending it back to them and saying, what do you think? What, what, what comments you got? Oh, wow. Yeah, that was great. I never even thought about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So good. Next, next time you do a counseling session with that person, call me back and give me an, give me another case report and I'll fill that out and I'll, and I'll do it. So trying to do it through, through repetition, but practice. I mean, I could do it. That's the easiest thing, but it's better to train them to do it because in the end, that's going to be what's going to help me. And you don't ever grow. You grow the most quickly in counseling by counseling, and yeah, you might mess up. Guess what? I've counseled people in my life, and I've said some things that were probably not the best thing. And you know what? I learned from it. And that happened in my ACBC certification, too. You know, I did something. He was like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, no. Well, you know what I do? Well, thankfully, God is sovereign. And, you know, he's sovereign even over sometimes my less than ideal counsel. But, you know, but you learn and you grow. And, and that's what we're trying to do. Next year, the goal is to really start to put more steps in place to establish like an actual counseling ministry. Right now, we're kind of like in a triage mode. We've got 50 people. What do we do? Okay, I got to raise up somebody. Well, they're not ready. Well, of course, they're never going to be maybe ready. But, you know, we got to put them somewhere because the growth is so fast. If we don't, there's just no way this is going to work. And so our greatest challenge is growth. What do we do? How do we, you know, people are saying, when are we going to have home Bible studies? Well, who's going to lead that? Oh, well, well, that's a good point. You know, and it's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, so just be patient. And so we, we've said that we're, everything is patience. Everything is patience. Well, well, when are we going to have that ministry? Well, who's going to lead that? Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, okay, so just maybe next year. We'll see. You know, we just kind of, we kind of are able to punt. And, and what we're doing is we're waiting for a guy to present himself. And when a guy presents himself as, for example, one guy named Luis, he's a young guy, but he's, he's really growing and he doesn't have a lot of that junk in his head polluting what's going on. So he, you know, he, he's grown and he's pretty mature pretty early for, for the time he's been there. And he has begun, he's young, like 31, 32. And so we've said, you know, hey, it seems like you've got your life together pretty much. You've got a great job. You've got a good marriage. You're spiritually growing. Why don't you teach a class that we're gonna be kind of oversighting of young people, you know, 18 to 30, and he's like, oh, no, I've never done anything. That's well, yeah, no, okay. We're going to help you. Send me your sermon notes and we'll adjust them. Okay, okay. So he comes up with this message. I adjust the message. He preaches the message. And now he's got a little bit of a level of authority over that age group. Well, then he realizes, oh, I really like that. I like that. You know, I, I really enjoyed that. Okay, so why don't you do another one? And then he does another one. And so now around this guy, we've now formed a ministry of young adults. And, and you know, we're not saying... You have to do this. You have to do that. We're saying, listen, take ownership of that ministry. Obviously, we're going to be very quickly or very, very uh, diligently overse- overseeing that ministry, and you're not going to do anything, you know, that's going to happen that we're, that we don't know that we're not knowing about. And he's like, no, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I'm, he's still kind of get a little scared, so he wants to report to us everything, and and so he's starting to now. Hey, we're going to start doing meeting every two weeks to do these things. Well, that's great. If you want to meet every two weeks, that's great. So now we, we kind of have a guy. So now we can, we can think about starting that ministry. And, and, and we've started to surround him with other couples that are stable and, and growing and, and doing well. And so then what do we do? We say, okay, okay, Well, you, you run that and anything happens, you let us know. And then he calls me the other day. Hey, this other guy who's, you know, running around with some false teachers, you know, he came and invited some girl and and she said yes because she's a new believer and she has zero discernment. And well, what do I do? She she let it slip to my wife that she's going to this ministry thing with this unbelieving guy, and she didn't even know he was an unbeliever. And I said, Okay, that's not gonna happen. So I counsel him to counsel her. He calls me back. That conversation went great. We talked to her, we told her, we warned her, and we, you know, and now we're gonna be more, we're gonna be more diligently overseeing her, and that's good. Because that's how ministry grows, and that's how you got. Now we're raising up men in the practice because we, that's the only way we can do it. You know, we, don't, we don't have a choice. We have to kind of. And, and there's been a lot of trust on our part, because there is that fear. Oh man, like what happens if this guy says something that maybe is not 100%. But we don't have a choice. You know, we would. We have to say we have to just trust that God is going to build His church, and obviously we do it with much oversight and we do it with much caution. But we have to just trust God that, you know, God uses other people just like he uses us. And once upon a time, we were there leading some group, And we probably said something stupid at some point. and, And God was gracious and helped us to learn from it. But now here we are. And so we just are really having to trust God. But you can pray for us in that way, too, that God will protect us. We're very slow to move on purpose. Because it's better to be slow to move than to rush somebody in there and then have to backpedal. And so pray for us in that way, for wisdom and discernment. That's really all I have. We're going to close in prayer, and then you'll hear from me next hour too. So, God, thank you so much for what you're doing in Cali. Thank you for churches like this one that, that partner with, with us in that work. Lord, I pray that even this, this talk will have encouraged them to show that, Lord, you are doing a work in the world. Uh, and you are growing your church. And you're doing an amazing work in Central and South America. And we just praise you for that. Thank you that we can be partners with that. And we can take part in what you're doing. And you don't need us. But you allow us to participate. You allow us to experience your goodness and your grace and generosity. To, to, to have live and do things that have eternal significance. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen this church. That you would raise up people in this church to... To maybe one day, they might be the ones who go to another country. You might raise up just a heart for missions. Now, I don't, not necessarily that everyone has to go, but Lord, that you would, but everyone does have to be involved. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir up the hearts of these people, that they would love you more, and they would hear what you're doing in Colombia, and they would love you more, and they would be able to look beyond what's happening in the U.S., which frankly can be discouraging at times, and they can say, God... You know, you you didn't you're not you didn't stop you didn't stop working we're not losing the kingdom is always advancing and, and so we just thank you for for the testimonies of of what's going on and pray Lord that you would continue to to save people in Cali Columbia continue to save people here continue to build your church and raise up men so that we might be able to plant more churches in the future that's a that's gonna take time but Lord for you time is very different than time is for us. Help us to focus on being faithful and not to rush things and just protect your church. We thank you, Lord, that it is your church and you are the one who ultimately will protect it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So Lord, guard the church, guard this church, guard the church in Cali. Raise up men, raise up leaders so that your name may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.